Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it is you're coming from. Thanks for joining. I am super excited to be back with my next episode of Rewarding Conversations as I have on Ben Eberl. Uh, now, many people might know him in the world as Ebers. Uh, I don't know if that's a weird thing to be able to directly call you, but uh, that's how I know you and how my house knows you. So thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, it's, it's going to be good. Look forward to chatting. Absolutely. So for all of you out there listening, um, if you don't know, uh, Ben is the co-founder and chef of Sorted Food. And a couple things I really want to talk to you about, but a little bit just um, about that kind of background. Uh, Sorted Food, uh, their channels have over 3 million total subscribers, uh, millions and millions and millions of views on top of that. And one of the things I really like is that it's a really organically grown channel. Um, you know, you guys started this together. You have over 20 plus years of friendship, which I definitely want to get into and talk about because it's very evident from watching Sorted Food um, that there is an amazing camaraderie going on on that channel. And I think that's part of what makes it work so well is you feel the authenticity about it. So for all of you listening out there, if you haven't checked out Sorted Food, definitely recommend to check that out. You can just YouTube it. That's where I found it. And then you can find all the other channels, but I'll put the uh, links in description below uh, to Ben's direct channel. But the reason why I started with that kind of funny intro of calling you Ebers is that is what you referred to on Sorted Food. Everybody calls you Ebers. So it might sound funny, but let's get into the origins of that right away. Where did that name come from, Ebers? I have to be honest. It was, it was a surprise to me, I think, when I started to be called it. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a nickname. It was a nickname that extended um, beyond just the four of us you see on screen on Sorted Food now, but actually just the, the friends from school. We all met together. In fact the recording of this podcast comes at a very timely moment because only this weekend we caught up with our extended friendship group so all the guys we went to school with and and, and we've known for those 20 odd years um we hung out this weekend and went to the pub and sat around the pub table and put the world to rights as we always have done and it's from that group that the nickname ebbers uh, began and it, it you know it like any nickname it sticks and then it got used on the channel. And, and part of that is because we welcome people into that friendship. And you mentioned like the camaraderie. I think that's exactly what it is. And it's only fair that if you're watching that you're part of that friendship group, you get to use our nicknames too. And I, I have to immediately say that is for sure one of the coolest things, being a viewer and a fan of Sorted Food, is that we do feel like we're part of that. It, it's almost like you guys are inviting us into like your kitchen and your little, you know, kind of slice of life. And we're just having fun and we're watching you guys do this cool thing. Another great thing I think about sort of food is number one, the episodes are not too long and that is crucial. You know, it's not hour long episode. I mean, there's special things that go longer and things like that, but in general, you can pop in and watch a 20 to 30 minute episode of sort of food. You can laugh, you can learn some stuff about cooking. You can learn stuff about sustainability. Um, and you can just like, it feels like you can just have fun with these guys, like have fun with the group of guys um and that's how i was introduced to it and that's why i became such a fan because i like the short format of it and i like that it just feels like you're hanging out with a group of friends it was that the intention originally or is that what that kind of molded itself into over time very much an evolution i think when it started and i'm winding back the clock nearly 12 years as a youtube channel um, we started creating youtube videos as adverts for the cookbook that we just created. And I think we were of the generation, so we'd done a self-published cookbook, it was a student cookbook. And I think we were of the generation that we knew that 
our fellow peers hate adverts. We all hate being advertised to. Um, you know, the moment it, you get a, a, a pre-roll pop-up, you're waiting to push the skip now moment. You're, you're anticipating. You, you really don't care. You just want to move on with the content that you chose to watch. So we created some adverts for our cookbook, but we didn't want to make them adverts. We just wanted to make them really fun editorial that happened yeah. to point towards the cookbook. So that was always the start. And they began really short, um, relatively small, uh, like three, five, maybe six minute recipe how-to videos with our personality over the years we've tried so many different styles and formats of video but i think now we've settled on this wonderful kind of hybrid around about the 15 to 20 minute mark um and like you say you can dip in and watch one or you can stitch a few together and, and then sit down on the sofa and watch it on your smart tv and it'll feel like proper programming but you will learn something and we hope you'll laugh along with us because we honestly the filming days when we start rolling the cameras they are the best days and we just want everyone else to to feel a part of that so i'm glad you said that it's very kind of you to do so yeah absolutely and that's that's exactly what it is um you know it just feels very raw and it almost feels kind of off the cuff and um you know i love the I think the aside things is really good, you know, when, you know, the three, so for people out there listening, definitely check out Sorted Food if you haven't already seen it, but they do all kinds of really cool things where, you know, um, Ben is a, a professional chef and we'll definitely talk about that, but there's also like the, you know, the three normals, right, where they will try to cook something and Ben will judge, you know, who used certain ingredients best or they'll try to taste something and try to guess what is the most expensive ingredient and what is, you know, the cheapest ingredient and it's really fun. I love the asides. Either they're on camera and you're off to the side and you're watching them and the camera will just show you like looking at them. And I love when they talk about, I get like, I like laugh thinking about this, but like, I love when they talk about like you stare at them and they get like nervous. They're like, well, like he's judging us right now. He's just like staring at us, you know, or like you're on camera. And what's funny about you is when you're cooking, it just seems so smooth. And so, oh, I'm just going to do this and I'll throw this in here and I'll try this. And they're just like, of course he's going to do that. And, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, duh, you know, um, but it's clear over time they have definitely gotten better and their skills have gotten better and better and better. How has that been for you being a professional chef? You went to culinary school. You did very well. You're, you're very well known for that. You know, and you're watching your friends over the years, I'm assuming, getting better and better, learning about ingredients more and getting better with flavor combinations and profiles. How has that been for you personally watching them kind of evolve over this time? I mean, it's brilliant. It's, it's really the very reason that Sorted started was a way of, um, uh, back in the day, literally me sharing recipes with a group of friends around a pub table, scribbling stuff all down on the back of a beer mat. And it's evolved from there to now be, like you said, millions of people around the world who can all have a conversation around food. But it would be crazy to think that it was just the three normals who are continuing to learn. Like, we're all learning all the time, myself as well. Sometimes learning on camera, sometimes forcing ourselves to go off camera with a food team, do loads of research so that we can bring another interesting conversation to screen. So we're always constantly learning. And to do that as a group of friends, it is like the best parts of your school days that you loved without all the rubbish parts. It's, that's what it is. It's, it's schoolmates <laughs> hanging out, learning stuff and enjoying every moment of it and then getting to finish the day by eating great food um, and often putting down the cameras and going for beer afterwards. It's perfect and we realise how lucky we are, but it's, it's just brilliant. 
what's so cool about that is what you just said is that's exactly what it seems like to the audience. It genuinely seems like a group of friends hanging out and you're cooking some stuff and then you're eating food and you're ribbing each other and you're laughing and you're joking. And then you go and hang out later when the camera shut off. Um, I feel like a lot of shows it's become well known out there on YouTube and stuff that when the cameras turn off, everybody goes their separate ways and nobody really talks to each other and the friendships just on camera, but it seems so authentic with you guys. Like you, you guys talk about historical things like, Oh, remember back when this happened or, you know, you have all of this history kind of built into your channel, which I think is great. Um, so for you personally, like when you're, you know, when you're watching them make things, right, when the three normals are making things and you're watching it happen and the camera shows you off to the side and you, you're staring at them or you're looking and you're asking questions about what they're doing and things like that. Can you tell ahead of time being a professional chef yourself of like, oh, man, this is going to be rough to eat? Or do you look at certain things and go, oh, this is really interesting. I think this might be really tasty. And if so, are you ever really surprised? I think I think with food, there's always still a surprise to be had. But I would say that broadly speaking, um, you know, chefs can generally design recipes in their heads and they know roughly what it's going to be like before they've actually um, put that forkful of food in their mouths. But there can always be a surprising kind of twist to that or a, a different way of presenting something or perhaps two ingredients you thought would marry really well. Turns out they don't because one is either too heavy or, or there's not enough of it. And so there's always kind of a, a bit of a tightrope walk to be done in yeah. terms of getting the balance right. But I think broadly speaking, we kind of know what's going to happen. And this whole thing of sort of ad-libbing, ultimately a recipe becomes our script. We don't, we don't script anything because... To be perfectly honest with you, we're terrible actors. If you asked us to learn words and lines and scripts, it would be so terrible. Um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like you script anything at all. It seems very off the cuff and very natural. Some of the some of the formats, like the one you mentioned, comparing like premium and more basic ingredients, we've got like the prices written down and we've got particularly brand names. We might sometimes um, rattle off a description from a brand's website or something to give context to what we're discussing. But nine times out of 10, there's a few notes scribbled down, but it is off the cuff. It's just a conversation. Now, that conversation is shaped from lots of reading, lots of research, lots of comments from previous videos that will mm -hmm. remind us to talk about something that we completely forgot to talk about last time. Um, and that's really helpful. I remember a very popular format that we still do occasionally is reviewing kitchen gadgets. And there yeah. were a couple of gadgets that were really quite rubbish and we didn't see the point in them and they were we got them off you know amazon and we just did not see the point for this single use bit of kit why would anyone spend their money on it and we kind of just ridiculed it and didn't see a place for it and it wasn't until we saw some of the comments that pointed out that some of those gadgets are actually designed for people with mobility issues um who might not have the dexterity oh. in their fingers and it's only daughters like how can we had not even considered that which is which is terrible but the next time we filmed an episode, it was a conversation we were able to bring onto camera yeah. and it, it, it enables us to continue thinking and adapting our thoughts that you don't have to be so set in, the, in your way, set in stone. You can actually continue to adapt your own opinions and thoughts and understanding of food as well. So it's constantly moving, but it's never really written down. No scripts. Yeah. Um, one of the best parts of the show for me, the thing, one of the things I look most forward to is when you're actually tasting what they have created and they're standing off to the side and they're like cringing, like, oh, is he going to like it? And then you'll taste it and you'll kind of make like a face and they're like, what does he think? Like, what does he think? You know, when, when you're going through that process, you know, 
literally your three buddies are standing off to the side and they've all just cooked you a dish and you're tasting it and you're like judging it you know what what is that like for you personally you're going in to taste this food and your three buddies are standing there and they're hoping that you like their food you know as you know they're the normals you're the professional chef like what is that because that looks like and my house and my friends and stuff that love the show we always talk about that's one of our favorite moments so as an audience member i'm telling you like that's a moment that we love when you're tasting and they're like cringing oh we hope that you know what is that like for you personally when you're going through that well i always try to make sure that it provides some kind of added value as well it's not just a, yeah. a yum delicious or a yuck you've got it wrong it's it's yeah. it's the what and the why and the how and and you know sometimes the tables are flipped and i'm cooking and they're judging and it, it works yeah. both ways and there is this nervous tension Honestly, when we started doing the more competitive style stuff, the battles and the, the time challenges, mm -hmm. the mystery box challenges, we honestly thought that we were such close mates, it didn't really matter. Like, we would just act if, that we really care that our dish wins because we're all mates. We don't really care whether one week someone wins or someone loses until we started doing it. And, <laughs> and we are all so vested in getting that point that means very little really like it's, it's an imaginary <laughs> leaderboard but we are so vested in making sure that we get the one-upmanship that it does become a very tense moment in the tasting and likewise when you put a spoonful fork full of food in your mouth you don't get an instant reaction you kind of have to chew it a little bit and think about it and work out you know what is it you like about this and what is it you don't and those moments are so tense because you can't rush them it's not an instant like if you put a teaspoon of salt in your mouth, you'll get an instant reaction. But yeah. tasting food, you've got to let things kind of work their way out. And, and it's that that process of that waiting and keeping them on edge is tough. But I know how vested they are in making sure that their dish wins. So I always try to find something useful to say, not just subjective. Yeah, 100%. And, and I like that because um, there was a recent episode where you said something, you, you kind of, when you broke down the three dishes, you were like, you know, this would be a great late night snack. This would be a good movie snack. You know, when you do that, it, it kind of puts that whole, you know, kind of spin on it because as an audience, we're like, man, that looks really good. I wonder what that tastes like. And when you said, oh, this is a good late night snack, you know, this is a middle of the night thing, or this is a good movie snack because it's simple for this reason and that reason. That's really cool stuff. And I, what's so interesting to me is, there are so many channels out there that you can tell there's such a high production value in scripting things and making sure it's the right this and the right that. And I think what works for you is that it's just genuine. It's so genuine. It's just people hanging out and eating food and using cool ingredients and, you know, all of that. So getting to the origins of that. You are a professional chef. You went to culinary school. Where did that bug start for you? Like, where did that interest in cooking kind of begin for you personally? I mean, I was always very lucky. I grew up in a very food-centric family. Um, so we would always have scratch-cooked um, meals. And I was very fortunate. So it's not that I came from a, a hospitality background or family, um, but I just had a real interest in food. And it was really just a Saturday job. Um, age 16, I went out to see if I could get myself some pocket money. Um, and I ended up in a pub kitchen. Um, not by plan. Not because I kind of always wanted to. Just because there was a job going. Um, and it was in there that I kind of fell in love with the, the structure of a kitchen and kind of the discipline of learning how to respect ingredients, respect like the brigade and other people in the kitchen and just working like a well-oiled machine to deliver food to guests. Um, and I think I got the real bug for kind of hospitality there. And then I took it on to do A-level food, um, so a higher qualification in the UK, and then on to university and study food. Um, 
And I think it was through all that process that for me, well, there was one motto at our university, which was service before self, which I think kind of captures like hospitality in general. You know, the, the waiting staff, the chefs, everyone who works in hospitality, they invariably put themselves through long hours, unsociable um, conditions, um, not huge amounts of pay in order to provide for someone else, as do many other industries as well, of course. But but for hospitality, it's all about that service and service with a smile. And I think that's the bit that I've always taken on. And that's where my love of food is. How many times or how often can I cook great food for other people? And I will put myself out and make it inconvenient for me to do that. But also because I quite like that. I quite like learning new dishes or cooking a special dish that I know someone will like. And I think that's the kind of mentality that carries on through um, my whole family. And I think it wasn't until I got to university that I heard that motto, but that's when it really rang true that I realized that's how I'd always been brought up. It's service before self. Yeah, absolutely. So you go through culinary school, you're, you know, you're professionally trained as a chef. What did you do immediately after that? Did you start working in kitchens like right away or, you know, kind of that, that evolution of at what point did you switch over from that kind of, you know, the mentality of you want to work in hospitality, you want to be a chef, you want to work in a restaurant or fine dining, whatever it is to, Hey, let me try this social media thing with my buddies. Like at what point did that kind of happen? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was a very blurry few years, really, where those two options kind of crossed over. So at first I was working um, evenings and weekends, even through university um, for extra pay and extra experience. Um, I did a year's placement as part of my degree, which was culinary arts management. So it was as much about learning the practical skills of cooking in a um, university basis as well as the theoretical skills behind running food businesses um, so food management skills finance management human resource management all of those kind of um, skills as well and therefore I was getting some experience but not a huge amount it wasn't until after uni that I did other jobs so um, working in pubs working in private dining so working for in private households um, sort of doing private catering uh, yeah hotels restaurants all sorts a real sort of mixture of stuff yeah. But all of that was, I had a real passion for and I loved, but we kind of stumbled into the sort of thing by self-publishing a cookbook with some friends, but there's no way that makes money. So we carried on doing the sorted thing during the day, Monday to Friday, nine to five. And then I'd work evenings and weekends in hospitality. And that would actually pay for the money to let me do the thing that I really enjoyed doing during the week. And Barry yeah. was the same. So Barry, another co-founder, um, one of the four people you see on screen he would do wedding photography or um, some graphic design work evenings and weekends to pay for the fact that we were creating this thing Monday to Friday. Um, so there was a real crossover for many years where sorted food was definitely not a job. It was a really kind of passionate hobby on the side. And, and the other guys who had proper jobs would come and join us at weekends. We'd film on, on a Saturday maybe um, because that's when everyone was free. And then we'd pay everyone in beer at the end of the day. That was literally how it worked. It was mates <laughs> hanging out. Now it became yeah. more formalized as things grew and there were, the opportunity was there and we could see we could make something of it. Um, but it started very, very organically. And, and we've tried to kind of stick to that mentality ever since of like, let's see if it works, try it. If it works, let's, let's kind of drill in and set up a system to make sure it can continue working. But we'll always try new ideas first um, and pilot things. I think that's a good way of a good way of thinking. Now, one question that I was asked by somebody is, how did you come up with the name Sorted Food? 
It's still a working title. So literally we were writing a cookbook um, and we were trying to come up with a name for the cookbook and we kind of had a recipe for student survival was kind of floating around, a few ideas, and we could not agree or come up with a name and we kept saying oh don't worry we'll get that sorted later we'll get that sorted later well let's concentrate on the index let's concentrate on the photography oh, okay. we'll come back to the name and we'll get that sorted later and we kept saying it and eventually we we're like maybe that's it maybe we're <laughs> here just to called. get food sorted it's it's solution yeah. driven if you've got a problem whether it's a low budget you haven't got much equipment you want a particularly um awesome dish to cook for one of your friends who's lactose intolerant or you've just got back from holiday you want to recreate a dish you had while you were away don't worry we'll get it sorted as it turns out i'm not sure that word sorted really travels the world quite as well as i'd hoped in in, in america it means more kind of organized and alphabetical like in terms of sorting yeah in the uk it's very kind of colloquial we'll just get it sorted we will we'll fix the problem yeah uh we we use um as we do in the states we use words very differently for different meanings and stuff so you can say things i'll get things sorted out which means like i'll get things figured out later um and then you can also say like sorted as in like you said like putting it order like alphabetically so kind of used in different ways um another thing i want to touch on is the the focus on sustainability i really really love about the channel is that something that was there from the very beginning or is that something that kind of evolved over time well, the beauty of sorted food is the fact there's four of us on camera um, and, and, and we also have guests come in and we've also got obviously countless people behind camera who make it all happen. So it's always a kind of hybrid of everyone's opinions. So it's not that one person says, hey, I believe in this, we must do that. It's always yeah. a collective group and a collective conversation. But conversations like sustainability, um, meat reduction, being more conscious around packaging, being more conscious around seasonality, these are all conversations that have just become more and more um like concentrated and relevant in the last decade so i would say wind back the clocks to 2010 in some of our first videos i don't think we'd have used the v word because vegan was something that would have alienated far too many people and therefore was just not worth us creating content on because more people hated it than the few people who liked it Fast forward 10, 12 years, and suddenly the importance of flexitarian, vegetarian, veganism, like you can see whether it's with a a nutritional hat, whether it's with an animal welfare hat, whether it's with an environmental hat, they all have much more of a place in today's society and it's so much more commonplace. And it becomes part of our individual psyches and the way we run our lives and come across these things, but also therefore the conversation on the channel. So I think it's always evolving. Um, those conversations around plastic waste, food waste, um, kind of nutrition, environmental, they've always been there. And it's only now when you look at the data and the research, you know, there was this has been around for a lot longer than it's been cool. But it's only yeah. been the last maybe six, eight years it's become more buzzword, more important and more topical. And we've been able to make quite entertaining, engaging content around it rather than being too preachy. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and I love that. That's one of the things that I like most about the channel is going back and watching older episodes. There's definitely an evolution. You know, you seem to take cues from what's happening in the world around you. And, you know, you you don't just like drive home those points, but you do it with purpose. You don't just do it to do it. It feels very kind of natural, uh, which is, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts. And kind of speaking of favorite parts, I'm curious, what are your favorite types of episodes to record? Is it where you're 
you know, competing against the normals? Is it where, you know, you're watching them trying to determine which ingredients are most expensive or is it kitchen gadgets? Like what are your personal favorite types of episodes? Like when you see, or, you know, you're going to record it, you're like, all right, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think there have been definite sort of standout moments over the years, often a lot of the travel that takes us out of our comfort zone. Like our studio is like our living room. Like it's where you invite your friends. Like it's very comfortable and we love it because it means we can challenge and push the conversation because we're in this comfortable space. So we love it when we get out of the studio more, um, which obviously hasn't happened in the last couple of years, but those are always amazing moments. And I think when we reminisce about some of our all-time favorite moments they're often when we're out of the studio um but there are certain formats that we film that we always absolutely love and i think and then also some that we absolutely hate um but we know that the audience like um <laughs> really so i think well apart for example pass it on is a yeah. um so for those who that haven't seen it it's an improv kind of chaotic <laughs> it's more of an improv cooking show where you are thrown in at the deep end to carry on a dish that you don't know what it is or where how it's meant to be um, and there's big communication issues. It's it's terrifying because in the moment, I mean, we talk about none of our stuff is scripted, but at least we have a plan. Whereas with Pass yeah. It On, there is no plan. So it's one of, personally, one of my least favourite to film, <laughs> but it is one of my most favourite to watch back once it's been edited because you genuinely yeah. get to see things on the day you didn't see. Because genuinely, yeah. for three quarters of it, you're out of earshot, out That's of eyesight. And you don't know what's happening in the kitchen. So when we finally see the, the edit come back from our um, amazing production team and they've edited out all the rubbish and what you're left with is a very entertaining 15, 20 minute video. That's one of my favorite videos to watch, even though it's one of my least favorite to be in. That's really funny that you said that because that's one of our favorites to watch because of the chaos of it. Um, we actually in our house talk about doing that challenge ourselves. Uh, you know, that pass it on challenge of, all right, we're going to start with these ingredients and this person and then everybody else just leaves. And then the timer goes off and you come back and you switch. And that's exactly it because the best moments are when you guys switch and then somebody comes in, you know, you know, Mike or Jay, whoever comes in and you go, wait, what are, what are they doing over here? Wait, why did they do this? Um, and then, you know, before the switch happens, like, all right, I really hope they look in the oven or you'll write something in, you know, flour or something on the tape. That is hilarious to the viewer to watch. And it's really interesting that those are some of the most, you know, because there isn't that, you don't know what's going on. You're walking into a completely blank environment. Um, so I imagine for you being, you know, a professional chef, you can, you know, probably handle that a little bit better. But, you know, for the for the other guys, it genuinely seems really nerve wracking. <laughs> like when they come in and they're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I don't I don't understand. OK, I'm just changing this. I'm not doing this. Um, and then to see what you end up with. It's really cool when the final product actually looks really good and it actually looks tasty. And you guys try it and you're like, I don't know how this ended up being a good thing, but it did, you know. Um, so it's interesting that that ends up being like some of the most entertaining to watch, but some of the most stressful to actually film. That's a really funny thing. And I think sometimes that's a factor of expectation as well. Like yeah. you're right that the normals walk in and they're probably more terrified because mm -hmm. arguably they've got less um, in their armory yeah. to sort of lean back on to fix. Whereas I've probably got a few more tricks up my sleeve that I can fix, but there's also a much higher expectation that I will fix it. So it's really that like kind of, juxtaposition of the expectation versus the the ability is is really stressful but you absolutely should give it a go adam as a family we've had a couple of people message us um, and tell us that they've done it and it doesn't have to be quite so stressful give yourself yeah 20 30 minutes each and give yourself like two hours to make dinner 
and and but only one person is allowed in the kitchen at a time for 20 minutes and then you come out and the rest of you can carry on drinking and chatting and enjoying family time yeah. in the other room and that person for those 20 minutes can do whatever they want take it wherever they want and then when it gets served up at the end no one knows what's coming to the table it's, it's really good fun I love that. And we will do that. And I will be sure to reach out and let you know how it goes at our house. Um, because we have, we have a house of people who really enjoy cooking and who are good at cooking, at least in our scope are good at cooking. And we like to have fun with it. So we're definitely going to do that. And I'll try it that way. I think it'll be a little bit less stressful uh, going about that way. Um, there is something that you touched on that I definitely want to make sure I talk about, which is how did the pandemic affect the show? Because obviously you can, you know, you can still do some things because you don't have to do this or you don't have, you can kind of, you know, mold and make your own content. But when the pandemic happened, you know, I like, I don't like to talk about it, but I, it's interesting to talk about because it's something that affected everybody. You know, the whole world was affected by this and the whole world watches sorted food, you know? Um, so how did the pandemic affect you all? Like, you know, in terms of a show and also personally. Well, I think it was a, it, obviously it was a really tough time for everyone. I think what makes um, our show, if we hone into sorted food, what makes sorted food so special is the fact that we get to hang out. And as friends, we get to do these things and we, we bounce yeah. and we riff off each other. I've said it before, we're not scripted, but we've worked together so long that we can pretty much finish each other's sentences. Yeah. So all of a sudden, not being in the same room to create content was very, very difficult personally, but also as a like a business and a content channel trying to create content, it was really challenging. Um, but also, yeah, it was difficult because we just weren't together as we normally would be. Um, that was the same for everyone. But on the topic of food, interestingly, obviously, restaurants were shut, hospitality was shut. A lot of my friends in the industry were really, really struggling. But what that meant that was that people were more at home, more in routine and cooking more at home. So interestingly, sorted food went back to being what it was when it started, which is someone you can lean on or something you can lean on for help and advice to help you get something sorted. And people were messaging us saying, hey, we can't get hold of this because there's a shortage in the supermarket, but I've got this. What do I do with it? And we were actually able to go back to being super helpful again and super useful in that context. So whilst we couldn't travel and whilst we couldn't explore the best um, dining and restaurant scene in London or any other city, what we could do was hone in on the third part of what we do um, and make it even bigger and better, which is helping people cook at home. So it was a really interesting time, not one that I think any of us want to ever consider repeating, but we learned a lot from it and it, our, our food habits changed. And to your point about sustainability, I think lots of those conversations rose right to the top again about supporting local, um, you know, looking after what we eat and how important it is in our diet and our mental health and how actually food and the making of it can be really, really rewarding. You know, more people making sourdough bread than ever before. It's a really basic thing and it's been around for millennia, but suddenly people were doing it again because it was a sense of something to do and something to achieve. So food yeah. can help us all out in, in many walks of our life. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's really incredible that, you know, through this terrible thing, your channel got to come kind of full circle. You know, you were back to doing that thing that you originally started doing. And it's through a different scope because now you're this very popular, famous channel, but you're doing the things that you originally did. So it kind of takes on like a different vibe. And I think that it really helped a lot of people during this really terrible time. Um, and, you know, so definitely kudos to you guys for making that work and continuing to help people. Um, now, on a personal note, some fun things that I'm curious about you uh, being somebody that is on YouTube, but also a professional chef and you've traveled and you've done things, you know, you've experienced things that a lot of people haven't. Um, and through your kind of scope of things, um, 
is there any sort of family recipe that you have given your twist or spin or altered in, in any sort of way? Because, you know, you said you came from a family that did support kind of cooking and things like that. Is there any sort of family recipe that you still make or you hold, you know, near and dear to your heart or that you've taken and kind of put your own little, you know, kind of expertise and professional spin on? I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, we live in a world where for us, a quick Google will find us any recipe we want. Um, yep. And we've all got apps that we might choose to use and rely on. But looking back to the household that I grew up in, I remember my dad, uh, both my parents, but my dad would basically cut out cuttings from magazines or newspapers, or he'd hear something on the radio and scribble it on a bit of paper and stick it in oh, this okay. kind of very old recipe book that didn't have recipe, like it was just a blank notebook, but it was full yeah. of recipes that he'd stashed. And I remember some of those recipes that we'd grown up eating became the inspiration for our very first cookbook. So the beef and spinach curry, um, which yep. is just a long, slow cook and is really amazing, was something that my dad had scribbled down off of a, I think it was a food radio show like years before. And it literally wow. scribbled down on the back of a bit of paper and stuck it in this book. And we'd grown up having it as a special, like it was one of those ones we always look forward to when we did it. Yeah. It takes all day to slowly cook, but when it's there, it's amazing. So recipes like that and some of the techniques from that, I, I would still use today and still cook today, even though in the last 10, 12 years, we've probably done 2000 recipes. Sometimes yeah. I still go back to that one because it's just brilliant. Yeah, mine was beef stew. My grandma made a really slow cooked beef stew and it is still... When it's cold out, it's the best thing in the world to make. Um, and, you know, I've yeah. kind of put just a little personal twist on it. But just, you know, there's that nostalgia with food. And I think that's something – one of the things that brings people together is not just the taste and flavor of food, but the nostalgia of food. It reminds you of a happy time. It reminds you of a conversation or being with friends. And the fact that your channel is literally about that, it's food with friends, I think that is part of what makes it click so much. Um but another thing that I'm curious about is what are your personal favorite like flavor profiles to eat and to cook with? Oh, and is so it, it changes so well, yeah, it yeah, changes yeah, so frequently. Yeah. And going back to the, um, the, the phrase of service before self, uh, somebody always says, Oh, what's your signature dish is, is a very, um, common question and i always have the same answer and i always feel bad because the answer is always the same which is i don't think i do have a signature dish my yeah. signature dish in the moment is the one that you want me to cook because i think it's about if you're coming round, I, I won't say come round. i'm cooking xyz I'm, i'll say come round for dinner what do you want because yeah. i would rather cook something for you than force my favorite on you and it's a it's a maybe it's the same thing but it's a, i feel like it's a very subtle sort of twist which means i don't really have a signature dish but i would say that my kind of favorite kind of approach to food and flavor pairing is less is more. So I would much rather do, even if it's a couple of small plates, each small plate only needs a taste of one or two things, but just make it the best version of that. Like, yeah. especially again, growing up, my dad had um, sort of a little um, veg patch at the bottom of the garden. Oh, and as cool. of last year, I've now got an allotment. So a small garden space, 10 minute walk from my flat and I've been growing stuff. And when it is homegrown and freshly picked, I don't want it to taste of anything other than that. So get some courgettes and roast them off with a bit of salt and pepper and maybe some fresh tarragon from the garden as well. That's it. Courgette and tarragon. So I almost don't want to throw too much at it. And for me, I think sometimes less is more um, when it comes to celebrating the good produce. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. And that was something I was going to ask you about as well, because I've heard a couple of references on the show about like, you know, your garden and, and the things, you know, people saying like, oh, I bet Evers is growing this right now. You know, um, what are what are your favorite things to personally like that you've grown that you cook with? Like you go to that garden and you take those things like what are the, your favorite herbs or, you know, things that that you personally grow that you're able to cook with now? So, yeah, I mean, I should I should stress I'm not a gardener or particularly green fingered. Last year was a bit of an experiment. I planted loads of stuff um, on the basis that a third of it would probably fail. A third would be okay, and I'd have a third success. As it turned (laughs) out, most of them worked, but I only had like a tiny little bit of each one. But I think for me, the surprises were almost the byproducts. So I tried to grow fennel. And I didn't really have much luck growing the fennel bulbs. Um, It was too wet as a season and it just didn't work. I mean, obviously fennel would typically be south of France, kind of Provençal region. But in the process of trying to grow the bulbs, I got loads of fennel fronds, which is much like dill. And I would pick and harvest that and I'd put that through pasta and salad and I'd finish um, grilled lamb with it. And all of a sudden it was actually the byproduct, the fennel fronds, that I enjoyed more than the actual fennel bulb, which never really worked. And I would say the same for um, beet, beet top, so beetroot. I grew um, Very cool. various different beetroot, different colours, different styles. But actually, it was all the leaves that would grow in the weeks before that bolt at the, the root was ready that I would pick a few of here and there. And I'd put it through pasta, through stir fries, through all sorts. Um, in fact, I used it to cook down slowly into um, a beef and um, beet top, um, curry which going back to that thing was kind of a, a throwback to a dish my dad did but it was the byproducts which you wouldn't normally get in the supermarket and you yeah. can only get because you've grown it yourself for sure i love that um i've done a lot more research recently into about and that exact thing about what are the things that we always you know quote unquote we're told to cook with and what do we throw away from that and how you don't need to throw these things away. You can either compost these things or you can use them in different ways in soups and stocks and stuff like that. So um, I, I love that kind of aspect of you started with something in mind and it didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to, but you made it work for you, you know. So in terms of uh, something else I'm curious about, uh, your travels, are there any particular countries or, or regions and styles of food and, you know, culinary you know kind of in the kitchen ways of making things that you particularly love are there any countries that you really love their food and you love going to or you love having food of a certain country um yeah all of them (laughs) but i I particularly (laughs) love um so places like italy i think is so regional where you can move you know you know 20 minute drive down the road and the the local regional approach to a pasta or a sauce or whatever changes and i love that sort of super um localized cuisine even though it's a cuisine that's traveled the world and everyone knows of italian cuisine i don't think Mm -hmm. people understand the nuance of the different areas so and i i don't but i would love to travel more and see more of that um i also the flavor profile of southeast asia thai and vietnamese kind of flavors um super super good because they play to all the senses of the tongue you know it's salty it's sweet it's sour it's spicy It's, it's all the things that we are desperate for and crave for in fact talking about it i'm salivating now i think that kind of food is exciting um but there's also so many cuisines that i've barely explored um with the exception of maybe moroccan and kind of north african i know very little about south african cuisine and it's one that i would love to explore more um and and perhaps perhaps that's next on the agenda that's something i'd love to do 
um, most overhyped ingredients and most underrated ingredients? Do you have any that come to mind of, you know, there's culinary trends or ingredients that people talk about that you, that's exactly what they are. They're just a trend. And then are there certain, cause you kind of named, you know, like the, the stems of like a beet or something like that, that maybe people aren't using, you know, so those would be underrated. Do you have any of those ingredients or trends that you think are over or underhyped? I completely understand why, because again, it's not something you find like caveman, caveman cannot find salty and sweet things and fatty things all together. So yeah. a salted caramel cheesecake just makes our caveman brain go, oh my goodness, what is this? Because yeah. there's nothing in nature that is fatty, salty and sweet. It just doesn't exist. So things like that. I understand why it's such a craze. But I'm kind of over it. I'm like, if I see another salted caramel, something or other, I'm just like, it's been done, move on. But I understand yeah. why it's so popular. Um, but in terms of underrated, I think there's certain ingredients that maybe chefs use and love that don't make it into mainstream. Um, celery, uh, bay leaves. It's kind of a running joke in the studio, but the normals have never understood what is the point in a bay leaf. But... If you put yeah. it at the base of the cooking at the start, it makes such a difference to just the kind of roundedness. And when you eat a dish at the end and go, but I followed the recipe, why doesn't it taste as good as when I have it in a restaurant? It's normally that layering up of flavor right at the start. Um, the sofrito, the, the, the mirepoix, and so often that'll include things like bay leaves, celery, and they're just there as this base flavor. On their own, pretty boring, um, but they need to be there just to give it that nuance of, of um, kind of, all round deliciousness. And I think therefore those ones are a bit underrated. A hundred percent. My evolution of discovering a mirepoix changed the way that I cooked completely um, and understanding that. And, and when I first saw that, I, I remember saying like, well, celery, that it literally tastes like nothing. Why is this included? And somebody was like, just, just do this. I'm telling you. And then you'll taste, and then you taste it and you go, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, now I understand it. So, um, and then one kind of final thing I'm curious about is, do you have a favorite thing that you have had on sorted food and like a least favorite thing in your mind? Or, you know, do you not categorize that? But, you know, we watch you taste all of these things and, you know, you like things for different reasons and you kind of put them in the categories and you never just say like, this is trash. You always find like the good things about, you know, but we can tell sometimes you taste things and you're like, mm, this didn't quite work. Do you have any sort of, you know, episodes or foods that you've really loved and some things that really didn't work for you? It's interesting you say that because there are some that we just think are an absolute waste of time, but <laughs> they never make it to screen because we don't film everything. We do so much in the research and testing oh, that okay. if we get to a place where we're like, what? I, I mean, we could talk about this, but yeah. we're struggling to find something that's useful. I mean, it's fine. It's average. But if, if it doesn't excite one of us for a reason, and it might not be its flavor, its taste, it might be its backstory, its sustainability or whatever. But if we can't find something that gets us excited, it never makes it to the studio filming anyway. So we get dozens and dozens of things that we um, always buy ourselves rather than have sent to us. You know, these aren't things we're being gifted, but we will go out of our way to find things that we think are interesting. And if they're rubbish, they don't make it to screen. So most of the things you see, they're good. Because otherwise, good, yeah. I mean, we're all busy people, right? You don't have 15 minutes to waste your time watching a video that's a waste of time. So exactly. they're, they're always kind of good, useful things. But there are then also some that are absolutely stand out. And I, well, the still thing we use pretty much every video now is the pepper cannon. So mm -hmm. it was just the most extortionately expensive pepper grinder. 
that we bought in order to take the mickey out of it because who would pay that much money for a pepper grinder until yeah. you use it and it's just amazing <laughs> and I, I would never have i would never have bought it if it wasn't the fact we do the channel to try and get reactions and we did that and it turned out to be brilliant and i i highly rate it uh do you have anything coming up um, on sorted food or for you personally in life that you're really excited about any fun things coming up uh, that we can look forward to as an audience I think there's lots especially this year I think off the back of the last two years and uh, lockdown and lots of food sort of routines changing um, certainly in the UK food supply food inflation prices now there's so many conversations and I would say like negativity around food like food is such a problem because people get to the yeah. end of the day and no one can be bothered to cook and food's too expensive and we're all being told that we're, we're ruining the planet. Everything we try and do somehow ruins the planet. So I think we've taken it upon ourselves to try and simplify everything we've learned and talked about in the last few years on the channel and consolidate it down into um, our meal packs app. So it's a subscription service, albeit it's free for a month. But genuinely right now we're putting so much energy and effort as a team um, the team is 20, 20 people strong. So there's 20 of us in the studio um, a few times a week now working from home for the rest. But so much of our energies are focused on how do we make that a better, um, more useful tool for people at home? Because let's be honest, when it gets to a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday evening and you've had a long day at work, cooking can be a bit of a chore. But we really just want to get rid of all of that decision making and hassle and fuss and just leave you with the good bits so you can actually enjoy cooking and enjoy eating because food should be amazing it's what's kind of brought us together as sorted food and i say us as in the four of us you see on screen but also three million people around the world food yeah. has brought us together so we just want to remove all the barriers of hassle and chore and decision making so that it can bring other people together as well I think that is a nice way to round out this conversation. Um, before I let you go, I want to do my five-question Q&A with you, if that's cool. Yep. All right. This works out perfectly because my first question is always, what is your favorite late-night snack? Late-night snack, cheese and biscuits. Cheese and biscuits. Oh, anything you put the word biscuits in anything and I'm happy. Oh, so. no. So this is also it's probably a bit of a language barrier because when I mean biscuits, I mean crackers. I, I knew so I have been <laughs> to the UK um, and I try to understand the different terminology and dialect and everything so I'm glad you said that because when you said biscuits I understood what you meant um, but I'm glad you kind of so for the audience listening out there if you're from the states he, biscuits doesn't mean what you think of you bake them in the oven and you cut them in half and put butter on it like we would do the biscuits are actual just like crackers yeah cheese and crackers and and entirely my fault, Adam, because like, I've been doing this for 12 years and I knew that, that that word doesn't translate and still I used it. So there we go. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Do you have a particular type of cheese that you love? Uh, a cheese with a story. So I love I love finding out about artisanal. And I think yeah. and this is something that has popped up out the back of lockdown. There were so many um, wonderful British local cheeses that pretty much only had a market for restaurants and things like that. And when the restaurants shut, Suddenly, no one was buying these cheeses because they weren't necessarily sold in supermarkets. So yeah. um, there were so all sorts of online delivery systems that maybe helped to save British cheeses. And it opened my eye to how many there are. And you don't have to get the same six from the supermarket. There's loads out there to try and find. Very cool. Uh, what is a dream vacation of yours? 
I want to, I had it booked before COVID and I'm going to try and do it again, is South Africa. So safari, yeah. the wine tour, but also, like I said before, I want to deep dive on the cuisine. Very cool. Can't wait to hear the update for that because I'm sure we'll, we'll get all that information. Uh, what is something that makes you sad? Something that makes me sad is the fact that food isn't as loved around the country and world as we love it in the studio. We find great pleasure in it and we think it's a wonderful yeah. balanced part of our lifestyle but i know that not everyone feels the same so we just want to make it a bit easier for everyone what is something that makes you happy the thought that we can do that i think i genuinely think what what makes yeah. me happy is now we're getting back into the studio and we look around our team our studio our office our development kitchen and there's 20 amazing people working their socks off to try and make a difference and that makes us really happy that this stupid idea that we came up with around a pub table tw uh, sort of 12 years ago is is now making a difference Last question. What is some advice that you would give your younger self? Be prepared to mess stuff up, but then learn from it and move on quickly. I think sometimes we're a bit too hesitant about trying stuff and actually it's okay to fail. I think there's a, I mean, it's, it's not me saying this for the first time. You'd have heard it on Reddit elsewhere before, but fail and fail fast and then learn from that and move on. Ben Eberl, also known as Ebers uh, from Sorted Food, I thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, this has been a real treat for me personally. I'm a huge fan. Um, for all of the listeners out there, check out Sorted Food, um, especially um, you know through YouTube. It's such an amazing channel. You guys have a blast. Um, it makes cooking approachable. It makes it fun. It's brought it more heavily into my house, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Thank you so much. No, thank you for all your kind words. It was great chatting. Cheers, Adam. Absolutely. For all of you out there listening, if this is your first time here, welcome. If you're a returner, welcome back. And regardless of where you're coming from, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.